Well, if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 16 to 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, 16 to 18. In, the, in this section leading, leading up to this, Jesus has told us who we are as His disciples. And now starting at 6.1, as we've seen, He's focused on what we do. On, on what we do and, and how we do it. On the, the practicing of our righteousness. And so far, really, as we've, as we've seen, this sermon has very much been about righteousness. Disciples of Jesus Christ are righteous and they do righteous things. If you are not righteous, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen this so much that I, I hate to repeat it, but it's, it's really necessary to understand righteousness can never earn us forgiveness. We can never work our way to heaven. We could never merit the holiness required to be a child of God, to go to heaven, to dwell with God in His holy presence. But, and, and this is Jesus' message in the sermon, if your day-to-day life isn't righteous, you do not belong to Christ. A true disciple of Jesus Christ will pursue a life of holiness and righteousness in this world. We will do certain things, not to earn our salvation, but because we are saved. And when we do those things, we will do them not to be seen by men. Our motives will be to please our Father in heaven and to be like Him. The righteous things that Jesus talks about here were in, in this section, in, if starting in chapter 6 and verse 1, the, the righteous things that Jesus talks about here were common practices in the, in the Jewish culture of His day. And I take these as representative examples of the kinds of righteous practices that true disciples will do. And as we've seen, the the three things that Jesus takes up here are giving, prayer, and in our verses today, fasting. Very common, all of those as, as kind of religious practices in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day. Jesus is teaching us in this section not to be like the hypocrites, but instead... We are to be sincere. We're to do what we do for God's glory alone. And so each of us have a choice to make. Will we pursue men's praises or will we pursue God's praises? Will we pursue His glory? Are we sincere in, or, or are we putting on a show? Jesus teaches us that sincerity will be rewarded by God eternally and hypocrisy will be rewarded by men with whatever honor they give in this world. And so that's our choice. Are we going to do it for God and His glory? Are we going to do what we do for the praise of men? And so we come now to this area of fasting. Let's read our our text for today. Matthew 6 and verse 16. Jesus says, And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, 
Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting was something very well known in Israelite society. Augustus once bragged that he fasted more than Jews, and, and by that we can see that Jews were known for their fasting. To Jesus' original audience, there would have been no need to explain fasting. They already understood it. Uh, They understood what it was. Just like giving needed no explanation and prayer really needed not much explanation as to what it is, so it was with fasting at the time that Jesus gave this sermon. Everyone knew what it was. Everyone knew what it was for. Everyone knew why it was done. And the thing that Jesus is emphasizing here is the motive for fasting. Why are you fasting? Who are you fasting for? Do you want to be seen by others or are you fasting to be seen by God? But we, we likely need some extra help because fasting is not very common in our day. Or maybe I should say biblical fasting is not very common. You know, I hear that there's some intermittent fasting going on, uh, some dieting kind of going on, that kind of fasting. Fasting in biblical terms is never about dieting. It's never about weight loss. It's never about anything other than spiritual needs. You know, for a while I was getting these ads on on my, I don't remember if it was YouTube or Facebook or, or I don't have Facebook, Twitter, but I, I was seeing these ads on the, the intermittent fasting that you would need to do depending on what kind of horrible belly fat you had. And it was a, it was quite a picture that they put there, but intermittent fasting by belly type. And uh, I never clicked on that ad, thankfully, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're not, we're going to talk about biblical Fasting, and I, I think there's some confusion, at least even in my own in my own life and and mind. Even this week, I didn't really know very much about fasting. I would have never chosen to preach on fasting, but thankfully, it's the next text for us. John Calvin said this: Many, for want of knowing its usefulness, undervalue its necessity. And some reject it altogether as superfluous, as, as unnecessary. So many people, he said in his day, don't know the usefulness of fasting and so they undervalue it. They don't think it's necessary. Some people say altogether, there's no point in fasting. Then he says, well, on the other hand, where the proper use of fasting is not well understood, it easily degenerates into superstition. And I think he was right on on that. We need the right balance on this thing about fasting. We don't want to undervalue it. We don't want to reject it altogether. And yet at the same time, as we've probably seen instances where fasting has degenerated into a superstitious practice. People sometimes think if they if they fast, then God will really hear their prayers. Then God will really answer their prayers. And that's not actually right either. So to cover this then, we're going to look at what the Scriptures say about fasting. And we're going to kind of do an in-depth look at what, what the Bible says about, about fasting. I called this three essential elements to enable us to fast righteously. Three essential elements. And these are going to help us to fast righteously, fast biblically, 
when we fast. And the three of them are, just to give them up front, the reasons for fasting. And we're going to kind of go into the Old Testament and look at why fasting. What What is this fasting all about? Then secondly, we're going to look at the route of fasting, the, the, the way of fasting, if you will, kind of what Jesus tells us in our text in verses 16 to, to 18 about, about how we're to fast and how we're to not fast. And then we'll look at the reward for fasting at the last part of verse 18. Jesus says to his disciples, when you fast. And so he assumes that at some point we will fast. And so it's not a question of if we will fast, it's a question of when we will fast, and when we do fast, how should we do it? And that's what Jesus is addressing. Now, this might already be a bit surprising for us because I'm guessing that we don't fast very often. I I don't know about that, but I'm guessing that there's not a lot of fasting going on. In fact, I would guess that if you're like me, most of us don't even really know very much about what fasting is or or what it's for or why we should do it or even when we should do it. And I include myself in that group. Like I said, I've never I've never studied much on fasting. I've never read a book on fasting until really this week when we were able to kind of dig into this a little bit more. And like me, or or sorry, like me, like like this text most of the commentators that read this, that I read this week, didn't say much about the practice of fasting either. But thankfully, there was a few of them that kind of went deeper into the topic. And I was able to kind of look through all of the Old Testament texts that talk about fasting. So we're going to learn about fasting. And again, Jesus assumes that we will fast. But I should point out that there is no command in the New Testament that that commands us to fast. The closest thing would be this text that says, when you fast. And that makes fasting slightly different than what we saw with giving in verses 1 to 4 or praying in verses 5 to 15. And it's probably also why we don't know as much about fasting as we do about giving, praying, and other righteous practices. So what I want to do then is begin with a a general introduction on fasting Now, Jesus' hearers, again, they wouldn't have needed this. They already knew about fasting, but I I called this the reasons for fasting. The reasons, number one in your outline, the reasons for fasting. And if we're going to fast righteously, if we're going to be enabled to fast righteously, we need to know what it is. And so the first essential element then is that we need to know the reasons for fasting. The first time we hear about fasting in Scripture is in Leviticus chapter 16. And so why don't you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16. First mention that I'm aware of about fasting, Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 29 says, And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, note that word there, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves It is a statute forever. This is on the day 
of atonement. And on the day of atonement, the, that was the day when the high priest entered the holy of holies, when he entered the innermost part of the temple. And he did that to sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant for the forgiveness of Israel's sins. And this was an important day, maybe the most important day on Israel's calendar. And on, on that day, every Israelite was to afflict themselves. Other translations have practice self-denial, the, the Christian Standard Bible, or humble, humble your souls, the New American Standard, or the uh, New King James says, afflict your soul. And this is the same word that afflict that referred to Israel's oppression in Egypt under Pharaoh. They were afflicted. And according to the, the Mishnah, that, which is a, um, an, kind of like an, an oral commentary on the Old Testament that was written down about 200 AD, but it kind of gave some, some practices and, and ideas about what Israel was to do. And, and according to this, this document called the Mishnah, this self-denial, this afflicting included, and this is a quote from one of the commentators, it included abstaining from eating, drinking, sexual activity, washing, anointing, or putting on sandals. So on that day, Israel would not eat, they would not drink, they would not have intimacy, they would not wash themselves, anoint themselves, or they wouldn't even wear sandals on that day. And the only people who were allowed to wash their faces or, um, or, or anoint themselves on the Day of Atonement was kings and brides. Kings and brides were exempt from that. But otherwise, it was all of those things. And that was the only required fast in Israel. There was no other required fast according to the law. And so from sundown on the ninth day until uh, of the seventh month to sundown on the tenth day, there was no eating, no drinking, no bathing, no anointing, no wearing sandals, or no intimacy with one's spouse. Again, if you just flip over a few pages, Leviticus 23 and verse 27. Now on the tenth day of this month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that very day, for it is the, the, a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And then again in verse, in chapter 29 and verse 7, it says, On the tenth day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation and afflict yourselves you shall do no work. And so this fast is associated with the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice for sin. And the nation would remember their sins and they would sacrifice the two goats for the sins of the nation and they would confess their sins on that day. And it was a, a, a 24-hour period without food and without water. And even without bathing and cleansing, and it would, it would serve to remind the people of their dependence on God and of, of their sins even from the previous year. And it was a, a humbling of themselves. And you can kind of sense, and if you've ever gone without food, you can kind of sense the, the grief and the repentance 
that, that would have went along with such a day. This was a day when you were more aware of your sins than any other day and you would see the two goats sacrificed or you know the one sacrificed and the other sent off with your sins on it. And this fasting would remind you of the seriousness and of the grief of that day. But that was the only fast required by law. It was the only nationally mandated fast as well, although later on when Israel returned from the exile, they did add four other national fast days that were kind of days of remembrance. But other fasts were were individual fasts. And there was a few reasons for those. And, and those individual fasts would sometimes be national as well. Uh, and so there's these kind of these other fasts that weren't required, but kind of were commanded at different times for different reasons. And so in Judges chapter 20, and you, you don't have to turn to Judges, but the men of Israel in, in Judges 20 were fighting against the, the tribe of Benjamin. And Israel had lost the first two battles against their brethren, but the, the Lord was commanding them to go up because they were it was a, a judgment against the sins of Benjamin. And in Judges 20, verse 26, after they had lost these two battles, it says, all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. And they sat before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And they wept because 18,000 of them had died that day. And there was, and in their grief, they fasted until evening. In times of grief, we very often don't even feel like eating. Food kind of loses its taste. Joy uh, is gone. The joy of eating in particular seems to kind of disappear in times of grief. And Israel there, they fasted when they lost the battle. They fasted and they prayed and they asked for God's direction. And so in a time of grief and, and really needing direction, Israel fasted. David fasted multiple times in Scripture. He fasted when Saul died. Second Samuel, uh, actually let's just turn to Second Samuel chapter 1. Second Samuel 1 and verse 11 says, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And so here, Saul has died, David's close friend Jonathan has died, the king of Israel has died, the first king, and 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 even the people of, of the Lord, the, some of the nation had died in that battle. They had fallen by the sword, and so David rips his clothes. He mourns and weeps and fasted until evening for these people. David fasted again when the child born to Bathsheba had become sick, and that's in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 12 and verse 15, and the, it says, And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. Verse 16 says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. 
And this was a fast of grief, and, and also David sought God in prayer for the life of the child. David speaks uh, about fasting for his sick associates in Psalm 35. One of these people, or at one time, these, these people that he's talking about were his friends, but now they had become his enemies, and he says in Psalm 35, 13, but I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed down on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. And we can see here this connection between mourning and lament and fasting. And also sackcloth is mentioned. Sackcloth is woven from goat and camel hair, and it was often worn in times of, of sorrow and mourning, a, a very uncomfortable kind of garment, often just used for like a literal sack, uh, an itchy kind of scratchy garment, but often worn in times of mourning and grief. Daniel also fasted, and we could turn, and let's do that, let's go to Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel 9, Daniel records how he came to realize that the, the 70 years of the desolation of Jerusalem was almost complete. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, um, also known as Xerxes, I believe, in the, in the first year of Darius, the son of Xerxes, uh, by descent a Mede, who is made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the, uh, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seven years, seventy years. Verse three, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and with sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land." And so here we have a prayer, it's a, and it's a great prayer to even to read the whole thing, but here we have this, this prayer for mercy, and it's a confession of sin, and Daniel's wearing sackcloth, and he's put ashes on his head, and it's all connected with this fasting and mourning. Again, in chapter 10 and verse 2, Daniel has another fast, and he says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I was mourning for three weeks and I ate no delicacies. No meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full, for the full three weeks, he says, for the full three weeks. And so we've seen fasting for, in, in connection with mourning. It's in connection with grief. There's confession of sins and repentance often tied to fasting. There's seeking the Lord, whether it's seeking for wisdom, often 
this fasting had wearing sackcloth, ashes on the head, refraining from washing or from anointing oneself with oil. And often in, in these kinds of fast times, there was a, a, a sense of, of desperation that the people couldn't do anything without the Lord's help, that they were absolutely dependent on the Lord to help them. And so they would turn in their, their grief with confession and fasting and mourning and seeking God to help them. The book of Jonah is a, another great place to see fasting in the Old Testament. And so let's, let's go ahead and and turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah 1, 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And of course, there is no fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And so he was three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the fish. And then if you go to Jonah 2, two and verse 10, and the, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, the, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let... Man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them and he did not do it. And so the whole city of Nineveh fasted because they believed God through Jonah and they repented and and turned from their sins. And there's this mourning over sin and repentance and fasting is a kind of an outward sign to go along with the inner state of the heart. Now, of course, there's a little bit of, I think, a little bit of superstition in the, the Ninevites there when they even get the beasts to fast. And you can kind of picture the, the cattle lowing and, and they got the whole nation and really the whole world in that sense kind of calling out to God. But the people of Nineveh, they were mourning over their sin and they turned from it and they did it with fasting. We see another reason for fasting in the book of Ezra. And so let's go kind of back then over to Ezra and Nehemiah. Start in Ezra 
chapter 8 and verse 21. Uh, Ezra 8, 21. Then, this is Ezra speaking. I, I, um, yeah, Ezra is about here. He's about to lead the captives back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And so there's a, this long journey and it's a dangerous journey. And so he says, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves. And that's the same word as we saw in Leviticus 16, that we might afflict ourselves, that we might um, in other words, there's this fasting and, the, and it's in order that they might fast and, and humble themselves before our God to seek from Him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on the way since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek Him and the power of His wrath is against all who forsake Him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and He listened to our entreaty. And so what we have here is an intense request. They're in a dangerous situation, and they really needed, they really needed military protection for the journey, but, but Ezra wanted to show that, that it was God that they trusted in, not the king. And so instead of, of asking the king, they, they fasted and prayed and asked God for a safe journey. Esther as well had the Jews fast for three days and three nights before she went into King Xerxes to ask for protection for her people. And of course, remember, for her to go in there was really at the risk of death for her. And so to summarize then, fasting was abstaining from food and sometimes water for a period of time, sometimes just even um, a, a day, a 24-hour period, maybe even sometimes shorter, sometimes longer, even up to 40 days. Moses fasted, Elijah fasted, 40 days and 40 nights. That seems to have been a, a supernatural fast. But abstaining from food and water for a period of time, and the purpose for doing so was to seek God in times of personal or national crisis or for repentance and confession of sins. And it was always for spiritual reasons, never for physical reasons in Scripture. Charles Quarles, uh, the commentator, says this. He says, quote, Finally, fast could be mandated during times of national crisis such as drought, famine, destructive earthquakes, crop disease, insect hordes that were destructive to military crops, sorry, insect hordes that were destructive to, destructive to crops, military attack or attacks from wild predators. All corporate fasts expressed grief and mourning and were demonstrations of repentance. During times of crisis, the Israelites hoped that God would respond to the repentance expressed through the fast by granting relief or protection. As shown by Isaiah 58 verse 4, and we'll look at that verse later, but as shown by Isaiah 58 4, through fasting, the Israelites hoped to make their voices heard on high. He says then in the initial stages, those who fasted were allowed to eat and drink after nightfall. So let's just say there's a, some kind of a military crisis and there's going to be a fast. Well, they were in those initial stages of the, of the not too dangerous time yet. They were, they, they were allowed to eat and drink after nightfall. They were also permitted to work bathe, anoint themselves, put on sandals, and have intimacy with their spouses. 
In the final stages, all these activities ceased. And then he quotes from, uh, I, I think the, the Talmud, I didn't write it down, but he kind of quotes from some ancient Near Eastern um, source. And he says, it says, quote, if these days passed by and their prayers were not answered, they must give themselves but little to business, building or planting, betrothals or marriages, or greeting to one another as becomes, uh, as becomes men that suffer God's displeasure. So there was these kind of phases of fasting. There's this uh, initial phase where, yeah, you could eat in the evening once, once the sun went down. You would maybe have dinner that night. But then there's this more intense period where there's no bathing, no eating, no drinking. And then there's even this, this further period where even if those prayers aren't answered, then, then business is done, building is done, planting is done, no marriages or betrothals. You are under God's displeasure and it's time to fast and pray. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we see really a continuation of the same. Godly Israelites fasted and prayed, and they fasted and prayed especially for the Messiah to come. Remember Anna in the the temple, Luke chapter 2 and verse 3, it said she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. That's one of the, the, the slight differences that we see in the New Testament is we see this this worshiping with fasting and prayer. And Anna did this night and day. The Pharisees were also well known for fasting. In Luke 18 and verse 12, Jesus gives a parable where the the Pharisee boasts about how righteous he is. And one of his boasts is that he fasts twice a week. And from that, many believe that the Pharisees did indeed fast twice a week. But some of the commentaries kind of think that's not, maybe not quite the case, but, but there was actually a, a practice of fasting twice a week at certain times of the year, not every week, but at certain times of the year when they needed the, the, the early and the latter rains, there would be, it seems like there was a certain group of Israelites and maybe Pharisees that would kind of fast and pray for the nation. And so they would, they would fast and pray on behalf of the nation for rain. And that fast would usually be on a Monday and then again on a Thursday and then one more time the next Monday. And that would be a kind of a a special fasting and prayer for rain. And if the rain came, it would be seen as, as having come in answer to these people's prayers. And this made the fasters highly respected for their piety and for their sacrifice for the nation. And it seems that only selected certain people were recognized as the ones who could do that early fast. And so uh, you can see how pride would kind of build up and how there would there's this respect that is earned to be one of the fasters. And then if you were one of those fasters, you would want to be seen as one of the fasters. But if the rain didn't come by a certain day, then the whole nation would be called to fasting and prayer. And so there's kind of three stages of, of fasting then. There's the holy people who fasted Monday, Thursday, and again the next Monday. Then there's the, the whole nation fasting if rain still hasn't come. And then there's that third stage of really intense fasting where all business is shut down and, and basically you just give yourself to fasting and prayer. Now go to, go to Matthew chapter 9. And don't worry about the time. This, this section is going to be a little bit longer than the rest of it, but go to Matthew 9 and verse uh, 14. Matthew 9, 14. We learn a little bit more about fasting here. 
It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And so what Jesus is saying here is that there's this association between fasting and mourning. And it was inappropriate for the, the disciples, the, 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 the bridegrooms, the, the wedding guests, it was, it was inappropriate for them to mourn as long as the bridegroom was with them, as long as the Messiah was there. And so with Jesus' presence, it was a time for feasting and celebration like you would do in a wedding, not a time for mourning and fasting. But when Jesus departed, then, then His disciples would fast. Now later on, like I said, the Jews added four other fast days to commemorate. One was for the, for the destruction of Jerusalem. One was to com- commemorate the, the destruction of the temple. Another was to commemorate the murder of Gedaliah, which is in 2 Kings 25. And uh, a final one was to remember the first attack on Jerusalem, and, and that's also in 2 Kings 25. And during these fasts, one of the, one of the primary prayer requests was for the coming of the Messiah. And so that explains most likely why Jesus' disciples wouldn't observe those fasts, right? They had recognized the Messiah was there, so why, how could they fast and pray for the coming of Messiah with the rest of the Jews when they were with the Messiah? To do that would be to basically say Jesus isn't the Messiah, and of course that was something they couldn't do. Now Jesus Himself did fast at least once during His 40 days in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2, he fasted those days. And he likely fasted on the Day of Atonement. But besides that, there's no record of whether he fasted more or less. And it seems that the apostles, they did fast after Jesus departed. At least after his physical presence departed. When he, when he rose from the dead and later ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we don't have a record of much of their fasting, probably because the apostles and other Christians, early Christians, when they fasted, they would have obeyed this text and they wouldn't, wouldn't have advertised it. They weren't speaking about it. They weren't letting people know that they were fasting. And so we don't have much record of their fasting. But we do have just a couple other scriptural examples. And I, I want you to see this one in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And if we look at verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, there, there's that worshiping and fasting again, worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now this church in Antioch is really an incredible church. This is Syrian Antioch. This is kind of like north and a little bit, uh, a little bit to the west 
of, of Israel and Jerusalem, just to, just kind of still along the side of the Mediterranean Sea. And this church is really an incredible church. It seems that they were the, the first Gentile church, or at least the first predominantly Gentile church. And this church became the home base for Paul's missionary journeys. And in verse 1 and, and 2, there's, there's a, a record of how it all started. And there was these certain prophets and teachers there, and they were, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And this is the beginning then of the greatest missionary endeavor in world history, this, this worshiping and fasting. And we see more fasting then in verse 3. They, they, they sent Paul and Barnabas off to the work that, that the Holy Spirit had called them to, and they, they sent them off again with prayer and with fasting. And then we, we see more fasting a little bit later on in Acts chapter 14 and verse 21. This is kind of as Paul and Barnabas now go and, and start this first missionary journey and they, they kind of go to all the cities in Asia Minor. And it says when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, I'm in Acts 14.21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, and, and that's a different Antioch there, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so they, there's again prayer and fasting associated with appointing elders in the churches. And so that's the reason or the reasons for fasting. It's, it's a, it's a mourning thing. It's a sign of repentance. It goes along with confession of sin. It's especially for prayers in time of danger or need or, or seeking God's blessing with this kind of a, a fervency and an eagerness. It's a prayer for restoration for God's glory to be enhanced and grief or or danger that kind of already kind of incorporates this fasting there's already this natural sense in which one doesn't want to eat or doesn't want to eat much or doesn't want to eat celebratory foods in those kind of situations delicacies remember Daniel didn't eat any delicacies any meat or drink wine and so now we have a kind of a better sense of what fasting is. The next essential element to enable us to fast righteously is number two. We're calling it the root or the route of fasting, depending on how you pronounce that. The, the root or the route of fasting. And what we have here, when we're going back now to Matthew 16, Matthew 6, 16, and what we have here is Jesus' instructions on, on what to do and what not to do when we fast. He says again, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So how should we fast? How should we fast? This is very much like the other sections we've seen on giving and prayer. 
We're not to fast like the hypocrites. They do what they do to be seen by men. They, when they fast, they look gloomy, it says. They, literally, they're, they're sad faced. And they're, they're, they're sad faced. They're, they're gloomy. They're, they're sullen. One, one commentator said he called it a, a miserable look. And they, they kind of put on this miserable look. And even today, he noted, this commentator noted that even today, some people seem to think that a, a miserable look on the face, face is a suitable expression of religious devotion. Have you ever kind of seen that where there's this, it's almost like it's a, a godly look to look miserable. And, uh, and they think, wow, I'm, that person, they're so miserable. They must really, really emphasize their religion. You know, imagine wearing a miserable faith and, face and thinking and doing it on purpose and thinking that, that it showed some super devotion to the Lord. Right? We know, don't we? I hope we know, church, that, that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is joy and joy on the face is what becomes a disciple of Jesus. The, the joy of the Lord shows the world that, that our Jesus is a, a delight to serve and live for. A miserable face shows you've got the wrong Jesus. So we know that, but the, but the Pharisees, they wanted to look like they were fasting, and so they wore this kind of miserable fasting face, this kind of put on hypocritical kind of mask of a face. And so they wanted everyone to realize they were fasting. It also says there that they disfigured their faces. Literally, they made their faces disappear. And that word there means to make something disappear either by destroying it or by covering it. And so there's a a bit of a play on words there that that kind of shines through in the original a little bit better. They, They make their faces not appear so that they can appear to be fasting. And how do they make their faces not appear? Well, we're not exactly sure, but probably that this is a reference to covering their faces with ashes. And the reason they did that was to appear to men to be fasting. And why did they want to appear to be fasting? Well, they wanted to receive the praises of men. They wanted people to say, there goes Holy John. That Look at that Holy John. He's fasting again. Wow! The self-sacrifice of that, of that John. They, they wanted the, the praises, whether indirectly or directly, whether someone says, wow, you're fasting again, or whether just in the, in the corner of their ear as they kind of walk down the street, there's John. He's fasting again. And John's just like, yeah, you got it. I'm fasting again. I'm, I'm the holiest of the holy of y'all. And so they wanted others to think highly of them. They wanted to be well thought of. They wanted to be regarded for their devotion by men. And look what Jesus says in verse 16, Truly I say to you, or amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. And remember that word received, that meant paid in full. And if we fast to be seen, all we will get for it is whatever recognition men give us. Jesus says, amen, you will get nothing else. Nothing else. And that is the route not to take then. That is the route not to take. You don't do it. You don't fast in order to be seen by men to be holy or devoted or, or, or especially sensitive to needful things. So how should we fast? Well, remember chapter six and verse one, it said, beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware of doing 
your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. We've got to watch out for this. Jesus says in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. And there's this, this kind of emphasis on the word you, but, but you, you, when you fast, when you fast, when, when you who are not like those hypocrites, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. It says we're to anoint our head, and anointing was a normal beauty practice for men and women. And apparently, uh, in the in the hot, dry climate, a little bit of oil on the head worked wonders for the scalp, and uh, it kind of protected your head from the dry heat. And so they would anoint their head with oil. It was kind of a normal practice. They would wash their face. You know, when you go out in public, wash the ashes off of your face. If you if you if you're fasting with mourning and you've put dust on your or ashes on your face or dust on your face then you you wash that off when you go out in public and why do we do that well that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret in other words don't do anything so that people know that you are fasting and so in our case that would mean probably don't put oil on your head because that would be a little bit odd for us, right? Just look normal. Just, just go about your business. You don't have to, anyone doesn't have to know that you're fasting. You can just kind of do it in secret. Don't do anything out of the ordinary so that nobody would suspect that you're fasting. Now others won't see, but God will. Fast in secret and your Father who is in secret will see and reward you. In other words, if you fast, you're to do it sincerely. You're to do it sincerely, unhypocritically. And what that tells us then is that Jesus' teaching on fasting was actually also what the Old Testament prophets had taught about fasting. And I want you to go to the book. Well, we'll turn to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be a minute. We're going to just look at something in Jeremiah. But the, the prophets condemned hypocritical fasting as well. They condemned fasting in which people refrained from eating but in which they, they didn't mourn over sin and they didn't truly seek God. That was happening already in Israel before Jesus came along. And so in Jeremiah 36, there's this, this day of fasting. And the whole nation of, of Judah and, and has, has come to Jerusalem and, and there's this, this fast that was proclaimed there. It's, and they call it a fast before the Lord. And on that fast day, the king of Israel burned the scroll that had the word of the God, the word of God that Jeremiah had written that was calling the nation to repentance. And so on this fast day in which their people are supposed to be seeking God and seeking his will, they're going without food, but they're burning the word of God that's calling them to the repentance that their fasting should have, um, should have been already kind of part of. And so there's this fasting without repentance in Jeremiah 36. And in Jeremiah 14.11, it says this, The Lord said to me, quote, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And so the Lord is not going to listen to this kind of hypocritical fasting. He's not going to hear their cry. Even though they fast, they're not repenting. They're not turning. And so God is going to judge 
this people. Now Isaiah 58 also speaks about hypocrisy and fasting, and I just want to read the whole section to you. Just pay attention here as as we see uh, another another um, this is hypocritical fasting that Isaiah's condemning. He says, "Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness, your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And the whole point of fasting then was to ask God for righteousness. But Israel only did the no eating part. And God wanted the repentance. But without that, without true repentance and sorrow, without seeking righteousness truly, the fasting was useless. If they had fasted rightly, they would have been blessed and God would have answered their prayers. And actually, Isaiah 58 is an amazing promise for true fasting. And that promise of of reward then kind of leads us into our next point. We've seen, number one, the reasons for fasting. Number two, the route of fasting. The the route was not to take... um, Sorry, the route not to take, that we're, we're not to be like the hypocrites. And then the route to take, you cover your fasting from men and you do it for God alone. And now number three, let's look at the, re- the reward for fasting. The reward for fasting. In verse 18, that your fasting 
may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is the reward for fasting? Well, all through this chapter, Jesus has mentioned reward. God will reward us for our righteousness. He will reward our giving. We've seen that He will reward our prayers. And He will reward our fasting. Scripture promises reward actually for everything that we do in this life so long as it's done according to God's will and so long as it's done for His glory. God promises that He will reward His people with an eternal reward. But some of that reward will even be experienced in this life. For example, Mark 10 and verse 29, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So in this time, mothers and children and, and all of these things. So what will, we, what, will, what will we receive now? What will we receive now? Well, God in most cases will bless our generosity. And He will use what we gave to make an eternal difference. God will in most cases answer our prayers and He will reward us with answered prayers and we will see the fruit of our labor even in this lifetime. And when we fast, our voices will be heard on high, but still we will have persecutions in this age. But mostly our rewards will be in heaven. They will be eternal. There our rewards will be with no more persecutions and there will be no more wickedness and we will enter into our rest. And actually in the next verses that we'll look at next time, we'll see that these rewards are ultimately in heaven. And so Jesus is going to encourage us in starting in verse 19 of chapter 6 to, to seek these rewards, and he tells us that ultimately these rewards are in heaven. He says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. By doing what we do for God's glory, we are laying up treasures in heaven. Even by fasting, we are laying up treasures in heaven. A few verses later, Jesus says that we can't have both treasures on earth and in heaven. We have to choose which we will live for. Are we going to be earthly minded or are we going to be heavenly minded? Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money. And so ultimately then we will find our reward is God Himself. He is our treasure and our reward is a relationship with Him of serving Him, of knowing Him for eternity. And so we've seen three essential elements then to enable us to fast righteously. We looked at the reasons for fasting. 
We looked at the, the route of fasting and we looked at number three, the reward of fasting. In conclusion then, I just want to just kind of talk briefly with you about fasting and, and just kind of ask this question, when should we fast? When should we fast and, and what should we fast for? Well, what we've seen is that fasting is, is suitable in times of national crisis. And as I think about that, I think about we've probably never in our lifetime, at least in my lifetime, seen such a thing in Canada and in the world as what we're seeing right now in our nation with the whole COVID thing and especially with the government overreach and lockdowns. That would be a good time, I think, to fast. That would be an appropriate time to fast and ask God to protect the churches, to free our nation, to help His people stand firm in this difficult time. Another time to fast would be in a a battle against sin. Remember, Jesus said that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, we kind of take that often just metaphorically, but hungering and thirsting can take the the case of literal fasting in our battle against sin. There might be a time where we just want to spend the day and focused prayer and asking God to deliver us from certain struggles in our life. You know, this week as I studied, I was particularly moved by the church in Acts chapter 13 and 14 and where they were worshiping with fasting. And we see that this whole massive missionary movement spreads through the the world as the church is worshiping and fasting and setting aside people for ministry. And so that would be a good thing to fast for. But it's really a, a private thing and, and it's up to you yourself what you would want to do. Remember, there's different times of fasting. Sometimes just for a meal. Sometimes it could just be from uh, abstaining from certain things. We, we see that kind of uh, certain times. Maybe some people I've seen fast from things like television or entertainment for a while. Uh, you could fast for a meal. You could fast for a day. You could fast for multiple days. Sometimes you do it with just no food or water, sometimes just no food and, and, and um, drinking juice and, and stuff is sometimes helpful. Remember when you're fasting that it's not a magic formula, that if you fast, then God's going to do what you think. It's the same as prayer when we say, your will be done. Don't turn it into a, a superstitious practice, but in your grief, you can, you can fast and pray. Another thing to watch out for in fasting is is health concerns. You need to be a little bit careful. I, you know, in my younger years, I once fasted food and water and I forgot that I fasted and I had drained my body of all my electrolytes and I was just, water was just going through me and I actually had to go and get a blood test and then the doctor told me that you better drink some basically Gatorade. Um, so be, be, be careful about your, your health when you fast and be wise about that. Another thing to watch out for in fasting is pride. That is a, a danger with fasting as we see in the life of the Pharisees. They wanted other people to, to think they were fasting and, and fasting is, is not, no spiritual goodness in and of itself. You're not going to be a better Christian just because you don't eat food. Um, but at the appropriate times, it is right for us to fast. Jesus expected that there would be times when we fast. 
And when we fast, we should use the hunger that we feel to remind ourselves about what's more important, to remind ourselves about our dependence on God, to humble ourselves and to ask God for His blessing, kind of recognizing that we can't achieve these things that we're praying for, that we need His help and that we are utterly dependent on Him. And so hopefully that's helpful to enable you to fast righteously, maybe more than you did before. Let's pray. Father, we, we just thank You for this time in Your Word. And even just for the, the timeliness of this Word that we are in this text on this particular Sunday, the, even the Sunday that the government has um, told us that we need to lock down in even greater ways. We pray, Father, that You would give us our freedom in this country. We pray that You would do what You did in Acts chapter 13 with our church, that our church would be a, a gospel board, a, a gospel sound to the world. We pray, Father, that You would help us to be righteous and holy and that we would live in a way that is more like Christ in our lives. And we pray all of these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.